God bless you today. It's always a joy to have you here. And, you know, Your $1,000 cannot reproduce until it enters into a covenant with Baptist Church will picket their funeral. You can put that $1,000. We will remind the living that you can still repent and obey. And as we continue to go through uh, this live streaming internet uh, process of televising our programs, we're going to learn new things. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to see my head disappear sometimes. I don't know what will happen, but we need you to let us know by emailing us, Sean at aletheamedia.com. Say, hey, I'm in Alaska. The streaming was great. I'm in Florida. It really was bad here so that we can monitor this stuff and know how to improve and how to uh, continue trying to reach you with uh, what we believe is good sound information. Uh, before we talk about uh, tonight's stuff, and again, no programs, no calls, so you're going to have to listen to me for uh, close to an hour. Uh, and before we talk about our new direction and everything that's going on in the ministry, I think we'll be best served by, by having a prayer. That's what we do on the show, so let's do it. Pray with me. Lord, we just come to you and we pray for your strength, your ability, uh, in these things that we are undertaking. We pray you'll bless Brandy, the director tonight. We pray you'll bless the sound and, uh, and everybody who's been involved for so long with this uh, work and putting this on streaming uh, video. We love you, Lord. We worship you and we join our hearts with those from all over the world who are doing the same right now. We pray we'll reach those who are seeking. We pray that we will help people understand that you can be trusted even when we fail and that you handle all things if we put our trust and faith in you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, listen. Two months ago, uh, we were summarily kicked off the television station where we began seven years back. I think you, our viewers, deserve to hear from me exactly what happened and what did not happen and why. But I want to begin with a passage from uh, uh, Ephesians that's very important, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It's something that we embrace in, in our ministry. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do not fight with individuals. We are not out to attack individual people, individual believers, but against principalities, against, dark, uh, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So having cited this, I want you to know that we refuse to make war with individuals. We think that is God's job. Uh, we try hard not to retaliate or seek revenge, trusting our king is fully aware of all things and they're in his hands and all of us will stand before him uh, to be judged. But that being said, we do and we will war against all principalities uh, of darkness and we will go to battle against these things that go on corporately, institutionally with religion, uh, not picking on those who are necessarily behind it, but picking on the principles and concepts of what's going on. So prior to getting into our biblical justifications, which are needed for doing this very thing, for taking this course in the ministry, I do think that we can explain what happened um, it, without attacking those people who were involved in it. Okay, I'm aware of many of the half-truths and the obfuscated facts uh, relative that are floating around to our being taken off the air. At the center, let me help you understand how to uh, view this thing. Imagine a wagon wheel, okay, like they had on the old uh, covered wagons. At the hub of that, Put Sean McCraney, put a picture of a jackass, uh, I can say that now, uh, put the picture of or whatever you want right there at the hub, that's me, my face, a donkey, whatever it is, Sean McCraney. From that are spokes, and then outside is the rim of the wheel, and that rim of the wheel is the whole problem of why we got kicked off. I want to talk to you about everything that's within the rim of the wheel, the spokes that led to it, so that you can get an understanding that it wasn't just um, uh, 
this or that. Right now online, on all the pages and all the Facebook and people on these blogs and stuff, as a means to make things easy to swallow, there are those, when the question comes up, why was Heart of the Matter canceled? They will say, because Sean McCraney did that, because Sean McCraney did this, because Sean McCraney did that. Now, listen, I am always guilty of contributing to the problems. I certainly am guilty of using tone that doesn't work well with many people or word choice, things like that. And that just exacerbates issues. Um, but I wish it was that simple that I could just say, look, I, I did this and that's why we're off. And simplicity, the lack of complexity is what men, the masses look for because that way they don't have to think and that way it's much easier to make a sudden judgment. And so they look for this simplicity and they're fed that simplicity by people who understand that. So uh, let me try to explain what occurred. Seven years ago, uh, we were offered a program on a Christian station in Salt Lake City uh, where Heart of the Matter started and aired. I was a student in Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, adult male, left my job as a st stockbroker. We were broke and uh, we essentially lost any support that you would have from being in a church forever like the LDS because I was no longer LDS. So we lost the support of family and friends. As a result, the television station learned about a book that I wrote and management agreed from the television station, if I flew up every week to Salt Lake City to do the program, they would allow me to uh, sleep in the station without, a, without any kind of uh, fee. Uh, I could stay there uh, for my lodging uh, for free and we could record and air the show for free. Now, listen closely, no program taped at that television station paid any money, no program at all. So it wasn't like we received a special dispensation of, well, they get to do theirs free because they're sacrificing and they're broke. And nobody paid ever, all right? So they did us a great favor in allowing me to travel up there. We used credit cards to buy the, the airline tickets, to travel up, to sleep in the station, to do the show, and, um, and then we tried to respond by giving them, a, giving them our all in providing a show that would be well-researched and entertaining, et cetera, et cetera. Now, even before the very first program aired, there was a great deal of tension between my, my ways and management, between my ways and pastors in the state, and between the way I did things uh, reaching to the LDS and other Christian ministries who reach out to the LDS. So relative to the television station, tensions were there because of how I, the jackass, uh, the donkey, refused to be controlled uh, in my methods. I was LDS for 40 years and I knew what methods would reach a certain element of Mormons. And I knew that the, the traditional uh, way of doing ministry to the LDS was in some ways uh, ineffective. So I had a new way of doing it, and that was going to be how we did the show. Well, management wanted to quell some of my outlandish stuff, and I, of course, wanted to push for it. So we always had a little bit of attention. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? These differences were always present and a source since day one. So there's one spoke lead leading to the rim, to the, to the hub. Another spoke was station ownership. Now, years and years ago, I uh, did a program on Heart of the Matter where we compiled a bunch of clips, kind of like what you saw here at the beginning of the show tonight, and it showed all the absolute insanity of American evangelical Christianity. The slapping on the forehead, the appeals for money, the big palaces, the, the charismatic garbage, the whole crowds laughing hysterically, and we, we pointed out and we used Benny Hinn and a few other of these major guys in this clip. Well, the manager, the owners of the station are very charismatic and they're very big supporters of Benny Hinn. The next day they called and they were furious that I had attacked that. So that was another, you know, thorn in the side of the ministry with, with the owners. Um, then there was uh, my style and stance that I've always had toward organized religion. And uh, this flew in the face of 
uh, a pastor, a specific pastor in the state, who not only hosts his own program on the same channel, but he is perhaps the single most supportive Christian of Mormonism. He's a very good friend with the LDS, and he's a Christian pastor, but he's very good friends with higher ups in the Mormon church. In fact, they've even funded some of his travels to go speak with other LDS people in forums that, in my opinion, don't do any good in the Mormon Christian debate. But nevertheless, this pastor and I are very different in our approaches. With my person being seen as the most antagonistic toward Mormonism, not Mormon people, and his being the most friendly, there is bound to be tensions between us. So there's another spoke that exists. Uh, add in the fact that this religious leader openly even flew back to Washington, D.C. as part of a sounding board and panel for Mitt Romney, a Latter-day Saint running for uh, office. The fact that he was heavily involved in that and the fact that I was more than public against any Mormon taking such an office. This pastor's animus for me over the past couple years has really grown. And I can't help but feel, I can't substantiate it, that he was searching for a way to get us off the air. Then there's the station employee who I literally made cry when um, I attacked him for his mean style. So mean, and I called the carpet, which doesn't make sense, you attack somebody for being mean, but I called him on the carpet and he literally broke down in tears. Since that day, he has hated my guts. I don't blame him, really. But he has hated my guts. He works at the station, part of it. And then there's a, a woman there who uh, felt personally scorned because I gave my attentions uh, and I became uh, interested in another Christian person uh, more than I was her. And it wasn't inappropriate. It was inappropriate, but it wasn't inappropriate in terms of physicality or anything. But there was a jealousy factor in there. That was a spoke that led to the animus and the whole problem with the ministry. So there are the contributing players and factors to the cancellation of Heart of the Matter. The January 1st program that I did served as a catalyst to bring all these forces together to summarily shut the show down. Uh, there I announced we were going to focus, put our focus, as much of a focus as we had on Mormonism for seven years, we were now going to put our focus on American evangelicalism. And um, what can I say? Seven years weekly of going after Mormonism with facts comparing the Bible, one week, 30 minutes of talking about American evangelicalism and its problems, and I was, I was, uh, we were kicked off the air five days later. Uh, they essentially took all the spokes out of that wheel, formed a club, and bashed us over the head, leaving us for dead. And that was their intention. Uh, that evangelical pastor, he led the charge and he wrote in an email and he said he's essentially done. Without a television show, he's been rendered uh, without anything. And those are, that's a paraphrase, but it was essentially the meaning of the message. So I don't judge or condemn them. I leave that in God's hands because I believe, uh, I'm going to force myself to believe that with the best intentions, they were acting. They did this so that they could act with the very best intentions. But for the record, and I just want to make these things clear, we were not booted because I used words like hell, damn, pastored, bastard, or bullshitaki mushrooms. We were not taken off the air for using those terms because I have used those terms throughout the history of the show and then we were never threatened with being pulled off for using those terms. There's this thing, people keep saying I was pulled off because I, I used vulgarities and profanities. First of all, none of those are vulgar and profane. They're in the Bible, except for bullshitaki mushrooms, and that's not a swear word. So let's just clear all that, that minutia, made-up minutia up, all right? Uh, neither were we canceled because of some undiscovered or discovered sin of mine, nor unpaid bills. Uh, we were current on my sins and the bills. So there was none of this. Uh, you know, stuff that goes around, oh, well, I heard that, you know, he was having relations with a sheep and, you know, that meant uh, we had to cancel the show. You know how the internet goes. None of that's true at all. And then finally, we were not canceled because I took the show uh, a direction that they said I could not. We did not sign a contract that said we will not pursue this course. We did sign a contract that said we will bypass anything that we are going to do on Heart of the Matter to management. 
Management told me specifically that's just a formality. It's a boilerplate thing. We signed that two years before the show was canceled. Never were, were our feet held to the fire to reveal what we were going to do on a following show. Never. We had guests on. We did wild things, all sorts of stuff. Never did someone say, you did something without getting our permission. You're gone now. That was not the reason that the show was canceled. We were canceled for all the reasons already given uh, and because I angered the one of the owners right after that January 1st show played she called me the next day we had a conversation she said I want you to focus only on Mormonism and after we talked about things I asked this question stupidly stupidly I said what are you afraid of there was a long pause and I heard a change in her voice and she said I'm not afraid of anything and four days later the show was canceled so I, you know, my, my mistake, you know, I called the, uh, the owner of the station. I, I, I essentially said, you're being a coward by not letting me focus on evangelical Christianity. And it made her mad. Uh, the second thing is I had gotten under the skin of local pastors. In the month of December, I took that month off. I have not visited Christian churches in the state of Utah. We spent all of our time trying to pull Mormons out. So my wife and I go and we visit uh, eight to ten different of the largest Christian churches in the state. And every one of those churches failed to teach those people the Word of God contextually, except one. There's, there's one church that did. Now, we're not going to name names. We were never going to name names of which church. We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight against principles. So I was never going to say, this church did that, this church did that, this pastor did this. But some of the things were absolutely amazing that we saw. I mean, fog machines and rock concerts and, and decibel music to keep you hyped up emotionally. All this stuff. And I just said, why are we spending time pulling people out of a church, false by doctrine for sure, Mormonism, and get them to come out of a peaceful place for at least their brain or something while they sit there quietly? You know, you go into this place, it was a carnival. And so many of them, and it was, it was disgusting. Plus, the petition for money was absolutely disgusting. And it was a burden that was being placed on these people's backs. So I said to myself, why are we uh, doing this with Latter-day Saints and getting them out of their false religion only to put them in another one that's false? And we heard false doctrine from these largest churches in Utah. So we said we're going to do something about it. In a letter to station management, we said we are not going to name names in this approach. But it was too late. They'd already made their decision. So in the face of all this, the station manager that I made cry got together with the evangelical leader who hated me, and they mounted a campaign sending emails out to all the pastors who couldn't stand me and said this guy is going after the Christian church who decided to get with management who got with the ownership who was mad at me. And together, that's how Heart of the Matter got taken off uh, TV. Um, one more thing I want you to know before we move on to the justification of going after Christian churches. This action was in, in part, and it might, I don't know to what degree, but was, it was punitive. It was personal and it was punitive. And it wasn't just for all that stuff, that background and that history that I just explained to you. Um, we know it was unfortunately punitive for three reasons. First of all, we were told there, would, there was nothing that could be discussed about our uh, production, our television productions anymore. It was over. This meant we were not allowed to run reruns of Heart of the Matter to Mormonism on that station where I'm not even in the studio anymore, but it's just outreach to Latter-day Saints where we had tremendous amount of fruit. That was punitive. They knew that the ministry did a lot in reaching people, but they cut us off, not even allowing us to run reruns or giving us the option to do it. That was punitive. That was, we don't care how successful the ministry is through this television ministry. We don't want anything to do with you because we don't like you. And I understand why. I, I make a lot of people who don't like me. I get that. But we have to call us, uh, you know, how it is, how it is. And uh, they don't like me, and so that should be listed in all these blogs from people who are representing their side. They should say, you know, we just don't like the guy. I wish that would be said, and then I could say, well, at least someone's speaking the truth, you know, but that's not being said. Then, all of our program was canceled. Now listen, we produced a show called The X-Files. On that show was this little bishop guy named Bishop Earl, and he is, he's like a little doggy. He doesn't 
he doesn't get mad. He, he just sits there and he talks to people about coming out of Mormonism. He left Mormonism. He's the nicest guy on earth. And his program did reach people. People would tell me about the interviews he would do. They canceled his show. Why? It was effective. We paid for it. It was on there. There was no reason they would cancel it unless they hated me so much that they wanted to exact a punishment and they wanted to show us that they were in charge and no more of, of us. I can't think of any other reason why they would cancel poor Bishop Earl and, and his effectiveness. And it was personally punitive because people just weeks before who were behind me being removed literally shared with me how effective the program had been in reaching other people. You know, I've gone into this because it really is sad. I've talked to people who have just gotten out of prison who were in there for a decade. The point of the mountain said, you know, in there, people watch Heart of the Matter. We reach those guys who are in the prisons who, who are, the LDS say can't take the sacrament while they're in there until they've repented fully. <sighs> Boom. But bottom line, I mean, that show, it, it, it wasn't me. It was just the show's content. It was reaching people in the state of Utah. And that television station, it could have swallowed some of the animus they had toward me and said, in spite of him, the donkey, in spite of his methods, it is working. But no, they said, uh, not even for reruns. And that's really unfortunate. So while we were set back and shocked at the cancellation, and you'll wonder, you know, have, have really, have we just pushed things too far? Have you been wrong? The Lord has taken what has uh, possibly been meant for evil and kicked us in a far better direction. Uh, I'm going to tell you about the, this direction in a minute, but I think it would now be good time to address something that has been bouncing around as a result of our show being canceled. We received emails from some people. We received a lot of supportive emails, and we thank all of you for sending them. And if you have been supportive of us in prayer, financially, sharing people the show, sending emails, asking questions, whatever it is, we are so grateful for you. Don't stop. We're not giving up. We're not going away. This is only going to grow. But um, I'm going to tell you about these good things in a minute. But um, one of the things that people say is Christians are not supposed to attack or question or criticize what is going on in the church. They say that is, that, that, that's almost like a rule. Is this true? Should believers ever say they are not happy about a circumstance or something that's going on? Or should it just sit there quietly and say, everything that goes on in Christianity is fine. I'm not going to be the one who says anything. <clears throat> Instead of saying, it's biblical, it's biblical to look at churches and attack them, or it's not biblical, it's not biblical, why don't we go and let's look at some of the history of what is done in the Bible, let's look at the history of the church, and you ask yourself, is it right to go after American evangelicalism? Is it good for people to put on their thinking a cap and look critically at the church as a whole and maybe even of its parts? Should we be doing that as believers? Does God like that or is he mad when believers say, hey, I really don't like the fact that they're riding goats around that church and screaming, Jesus loves me. I mean, is it, does he want us to just accept everything that goes on in the church or does he want us to say, hey, let's, let's look at it critically and let's look at it in love, but let's stand for what is in the Bible. Okay, so first I want to point out a couple things. There's a huge difference between attacking an individual in your church and attacking systems attacking institutions, attacking um, uh, philosophies or movements or waves of culture. Uh, uh, there's a great line, uh, we are the prey and culture is the predator. And there, th th we should not be prey to a culture that preys upon its people to get it to do what it wants. I don't believe in a, in a body of attacking another person, that we have to get along in there. And if somebody offends me highly, slaps my mother or steals my food, I have to forgive them. But when it comes to analyzing uh, individuals or a church and institution, let's look at those institutions and let's not be dumb. We're living in some very precarious times and we have institutions full of people who are going to perish because it's so difficult uh, to be a Christian in this day and age. So don't attack individuals, but let's look at what's going on. Second thing is, there's a huge, huge, huge difference between what we call the body of Christ and the church. 
Now, that evangelical pastor who went and he got all the pastors to write letters to get me out of the station, he wrote that I was attacking the body of Christ. That is not true. I would never attack the body of Christ. This is why. The body of Christ is made up of true believers. True believers. Okay? I am not attacking true believers. I am attacking the church, which is full of wolves, is full of sheep, is full of goats, is full of weeds, is full of wheat, all kinds of things. That thing has gone south so many times since it began, you can't count it. And that is why there have been councils and reformations and things that stand up against it. When the church embraces stuff that's false, that's when people in the body say, no, 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 this is wrong. You see? So there's a huge difference between attacking the body of Christ, which I would never do. God forbid, forgive me if I ever have. I don't at attack true believers because true believers know him personally. But boy, when it comes to that church, we're going to go after it. All right, now ask yourself this. What we are going to do this year, is it one bit different than every Old Testament prophet who cried against the children of Israel and their leaders and their prophets and the shepherds of Israel? Uh, the, intro the introduction song that uh, uh, my daughter put to music uh, from Ezekiel and my other daughter put together in that compilation opening, those two things. Listen to what it says there. Ezekiel 34, 2, 3, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. I stood up there and I said, we, these pastors are not doing what's right. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do not feed, that do feed themselves. They have their own vision, they have their own needs, they have their own vacation packages, they have their own mega church they want to build, and they feed themselves instead of feeding the sheep. He goes on, should not the shepherds feed the flocks? What do shepherds feed flocks? The word of God. Every one of those churches I went to, no one was feeding the word of God. They were feeding them cotton candy. They were feeding them entertainment. They were feeding them garbage that those people would walk away from and not be ready to look at this world and stand against it with some logic and some spirit and some hope. Listen to Isaiah. He said, yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain, for his quarter. End quote. Thanks, Isaiah. Listen to Micah. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is it not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Listen to Jeremiah. Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Listen to Zechariah. Woe be to the idle shepherd that leaves the flock, goes on his vacations, to Israel with his little people who can afford it and, and all the people who can pay for it while his way gets paid. What is this about? Well, you're a shepherd. You don't leave the flock. You stay in town. You stay with the people that you're teaching. This is what we need to say. Hey, you're our pastor. Stay with us. You get it? Okay, so now you might say, well, what about the New Testament, Sean? Well, how about John the Baptist? What did John the Baptist say to the religious leaders of his day? Matthew 3, 2, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then 3, 7. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come, he's walking around saying to everybody, repent. Jesus is coming, prepare yourself. But when he sees the leaders, Sadducees and Pharisees come to his baptism, he says, oh, generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits of repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I say unto you, God is able to raise up these rocks, these rocks to be uh, uh, the children of Abraham. Oh, uh, so you want Jesus. You want to hear from Jesus and what he had to say. Uh, Jesus said to the leaders of his day, they bind heavy burdens that are grievous to be borne. They lay upon men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move one of their fingers uh, to help them. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. He goes on for an entire chap chapter eviscerating 
these, uh, these religious leaders during his day. He goes on and on. He says they're blind guides. They strain at gnat. They swallow camels. They are out to take the widow's might. They do all of this stuff. And he just goes on and on and on and on against the leaders of the church in his day. Oh, what about Paul? The apostle to the Gentiles. Most of his epistles were written to the church to correct them from things that were going on within it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. This is the third time I am coming to you, he says. In the, month, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent, now I write unto them which heretofore have sinned and to all another, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which inward is not weak, but mighty in you. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power of the Lord has given me in edification and not to destruction. There was nothing wrong with calling people out about what was going on within the church. Paul did it. And remember, Paul was not reticent, even in scripture, to call certain people by name. He even went to flesh and blood and said, and this guy, he has failed me. May he be turned over to the devil. And this person walked away from service. May they go. He went even further. Now today's church, oh no, we don't say anything. No, we just let, God can use that. He can use that goat being ridden. He sure can. God can reach people in every way. We shouldn't say anything about anybody ever, Mrs. Ramsey, because we are so blinded by these guys who have put that out there. They said, listen, don't, don't criticize now. Don't criticize the fact that we use the word tithing. Don't criticize these things. Just listen to us. We are your leader. They're not your leader. They're your servant. You, you only have one leader, and that is Christ. You and him directly. They are a servant to you. They are a slave to you. We've lost that in the, in the, in the modern church. We've lost it completely. They, they haven't become slaves and servants. They are guys who want to be fed and feed themselves. And, and Christ is really specific to his disciples when he says, look at the greatest in the kingdom are slaves. The greatest in the kingdom are table waiters. That's what the Christian does, okay? How about the fact that the Lord appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos? And he gave him Revelation. Remember that book? And you know what he says in Revelation all through it? He says, I'm really pleased with you on this part, but I am very upset with you about what you are doing here. Christ himself, post-ascension, there in heaven, giving a revelation. He says, these churches are wrong. And, and he even said, I hate what these guys are doing. I hate it. Christ does it. Paul does it. John the Baptist, Jesus, every prophet. Let me go on. Have we forgotten the fact that every single effort to protect the body of Christ in the early church and beyond came from men who stood up against practices and heresy that were wrong within the body? Consider the words and wisdom, the fight, consider the loss of life of many of these guys, Arminius, Theodore Beza, Bullinger, Thomas Cranwell, Cromwell, George Fox, John Huss, John Knox, Hugh Latimer, Martin Luther. Should Luther have just said, this is the body of Christ? This is the church? I'm not going to complain about the indulgences that are being sold to get people out of hell? I'm not going to complain that we've got to pay money in order to get our relatives out of hell? I mean, what is wrong with you people? Listen to the other ones. Uh, Melanchthon, Ridley, Tyndale was burned at the stake for his stance against the church and, the church and, and, and what it did. John Wesley, Wycliffe, Zwingli, Soren Kierkegaard stood against the church, the Dutch Reformation, and said, it's a piece of garbage. How about every single pastor, priest, reverend, before and since, who goes and silently does the good stuff? All those churches out there where there's, there's guys and they just suffer in Christ's name. They teach their flock. They're there to answer the phone calls late at night. They perform the weddings and the funerals and the baptisms without being paid. They don't expect to be taken care of in, in the way of those things. These guys, what about all the millions of them that have gone and come before who have done it the right way? And in our day and age, we have all these charlatans doing it the wrong way. And then what about the Christian dangers? What about the Christian dangers? They have popped up within the body uh, before and forever will. Should we step back and just let them exist? Joseph Smith started off as a Methodist. 
Shouldn't have somebody said, hey, you know, didn't they say he was wrong? Rasputin, remember what he did? And his Christian scientist, Jim Jones, this guy was a bona fide Christian pastor. Just think of the temple, uh, People's Temple. If somebody had stepped into Jim Jones out there in San Francisco and said, People's Temple or not, what he's doing is wrong. But no, we don't say anything. Or can we say something in those extreme cases? Do we have to wait for things to go so south that we, 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 uh, uh, they go so badly that then we say something? Or do we attack it right at the beginning? David Koresh, what do, when do apologetics come into play? I'm asking you all this stuff to get you to think and to get you to really understand. This is serious stuff. People, they give a lot of their life and hope and time and allegiance to people who have put themselves in between them and God, and they take advantage of it, and they prey upon them, and no one is, well, not nobody, but few speak out and say, it's not right, it's wrong, all right? So, it seems like pastors have erected and supported this notion of not attacking the church as a means to insulate themselves from scrutiny. We have a church called Campus, Christian anarchists meeting to prayerfully understand scripture. I welcome your scrutiny. I might not listen to it, but I welcome it. Come and say what we're doing wrong. Say how we're off. Say uh, we should welcome it, not hide from it. When you hide from it or you try to get rid of it, you are showing that you're afraid of something. When you get rid of a, a TV guy and all you guys write letters because that TV guy visited your church and didn't find it really pleasing, you're afraid of something. You know Why are we afraid? I welcome the scrutiny. Welcome it. Uh, additionally, we've had people tell that what we're doing is wrong because I haven't been Christian long enough. So Sean, you know, you're a Mormon 40 years. You really understand Mormonism. That's why you're in your place to be able to look at Mormonism and compare it with biblical Christianity. But, you know, you really haven't been Christian long enough to understand everything that's really, that Christianity is really all about. And our response is this. One, while I was a Latter-day Saint, I read the Bible. Okay? I didn't understand it completely or very well as a Mormon, but I read it. And I understood it intellectually. It just wasn't in my heart. Then I went and I studied the Bible, and then I'd be, I've been a Christian for 16 years. That's not enough to read the text and study the text and know what you read and see in there and what's going on outside of it. Do I need to be a Christian from birth to be able to criticize the thing? I don't think so. But we've had that, uh, we've had that complaint thrown in our face ever since. And then we have people say, your expertise and influence relative to Mormonism is being lost. It's being lost, and that's the biggest shame of all. You are focusing on something that you know really isn't necessary, and all of your expertise is being lost on Mormonism. Uh, first of all, we have covered Mormonism. We've beat it dead. We've covered so much about it. Secondly, it's not gone. It is still there. All of our archives are on HOTM that deal with Mormonism. You can go there, you can watch hour-long shows of every topic. People say, well, they want the live interaction. You can't tell if it's live or not. You watch a phone call, you think someone's calling. I mean, what, what you want me to have to sit every week and, and, and look at me to make it effective? We can, and here's the beauty of that. The NRB, and I think we have a graphic to show you, the National Religious Broadcasters, reaches 30 million people through a bunch of different means, but one is through DirecTV, one is through Sky Angel. They are going to, on April 5th, start to air Heart of the Matter Mormonism. All 370 programs edited. They get rid of all the stuff that people won't understand who don't know me, and it's going to play so that we can educate 30 million people on the NRB rather than 150,000 through the TV station in Salt Lake. 30 million are going to be exposed twice a week to heart of the matter Mormonism so that they can learn what Mormonism is, what it isn't, and how it relates to Christianity. And that brings us to a point. That's how God works, isn't it? What he does is he comes in and he sometimes sets you back. He has somebody walk up to you on a Sunday who you don't know, drive up in a car with tinted windows, hand you an envelope. You say, I don't like taking envelopes from strangers. They say, this is really good. This is a good thing. And you go and open it and it's a letter from people you have known for years and years and been involved with and love that says you're gone, okay? Uh, he takes situations like that and you think, wow, you know, this is really disheartening. And you go through a lot of hell and you go through a lot of inner struggle and Satan works on you during those times and fights erupt in your home that you can't believe and things go really south. 
But that is because Satan knows that God is working on things bigger and better. So the NRB comes along and it says, listen, we want your programming and we're going to take it. And so now instead of 150,000 households, you're going to see uh, Heart of the Matter on channel 378 NRB uh, on Friday nights and Tuesday nights um, by virtue of them. Then we said we want to do Heart of the Matter American Evangelicalism and we want to do it through uh, another means. Now we don't have access to a television station, at least not in Salt Lake, and our content certainly isn't going to be picked up by the Christian channels around the world. I mean, TBN would never uh, uh, let us air this show because we're going after TBN. And same thing with Daystar and same thing with all of them. They would never air this because they, they, they have shows where those hosts are doing the very thing we criticize. So what do we do? Well, we believe that the Lord said, hey, you know, start a streaming station. So uh, Derek and Danita went out and shopped and they found this location and this location was beautiful. It gave us a month to month lease the, the, relative to the size of the place. It was very inexpensive. And, uh, and so we're setting up a station there and, and we are doing live streaming to you. And it goes out throughout the whole world and we're going to the expense and time to try to figure out how to do it right. And then we hope in time we're gonna keep it, we're gonna make it a 24 hour live streaming where different men are going to come up who have been trained, who know the Word, who love the Lord, and they're going to teach the Bible. And you can go and you can click on any time of the day, hey, I want to hear about Isaiah 23, I've never understood that chapter, and we'll have it for you. And you can click on that and choose it and watch it. And it's going to be free to you, and it's not going to cost you anything to hear the Word of God taught by those who love the Bible. So there was the second thing that's a blessing. We've come out from under the constructs of a small, limited television station. We've entered into streaming with the advent of Roku and all these different elements that are out there for distribution. It's almost as good as television. And here we are able to do it by virtue of smart guys like Lamont and all these other people who are behind the scenes doing it. And it's a blessing. And we, we didn't know this was coming. Then in that building that we rented, we found out we've got enough room to hold the church that we've been paying to hold up at the University of Utah. And so we are going to be holding campus gatherings, meetings in this church beginning on April 7th, Sunday, 10 a.m., 2.30, milk and meat. And the, it gives us our own place. We don't have to haul a trailer up to the U of U during the snow and try to unload it and do all that stuff that we've been doing for a year and a half up there. We simply have our own place now. All of that in play because some people thought, you know, it's time for him to go. And I don't think maybe they were in charge. Maybe it was God. How much time do we have left, Derek? 15 minutes. <laughs> so what we're going to do for the rest of this year, every week, tune in, go to HOTM, tell your friends, please, get on all the social media, Tell your friends, hey, heart of the matter, you just go to the website, click on it, Tuesday nights, 8 o'clock Mountain Time, and we are going to go through each week and just systematically examine what is going on in American evangelicalism in terms of their culture, their doctrine, their music, uh, Calvinism, um, uh, tithing, Sabbath day, apparel, all of those things that when you walk in, we know people walk in and say, there's something not right about this. I don't know what it is. And we're going to use examples and we're going to try to articulate what to look for in a church that is going to be healthy to you as you try to grow in the Lord through his word. We're going to talk about uh, uh, verse by verse, which is expositional uh, teaching versus a uh, topical teaching. Why? Topical teachings are e easy to prove whatever you want to prove. Topical teachings allow a pastor to focus on whatever he wants to focus on and ignore the difficult passages where the meat exists in the Word of God. We're going to talk uh, about how grace has lost its place in the body today, how we are losing grace and we are turning to legalisms. We are turning to performances of, of uh, holiness so as to prove our worth before God. Pastors praying upon that. So that people, again, are put under the yoke of bondage that Paul warned against. And we're going to talk about what grace really is and try to reinforce to you how to live your life by and through this beautiful gift, gift of God to us, his grace. On the other hand, we're going to talk about licentiousness. We're going to talk about people who say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and King. And they walk out of church and they live like they've never met him. 
and we're going to talk about what it means to be tapped into the vine, what it means to uh, a Christian, what our, the commandments are in our life, which are faith and love, and, and how love is the imperative. And we're going to talk about love and its presence in and out of the church and what it means. We're going to talk about mega churches. Can a shepherd effectively lead and can a shepherd, can a pastor effectively pastor sheep whose names he doesn't know? Jesus said, hey, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep, I know their, they know my name. I know their voice. All of those relational aspects. You cannot effectively govern and, and, and really care for sheep, flocks, if you don't even know their name. It's impossible. So the megachurch model, which is so adored by pastors and things, and what they yearn to have is, is a lie. I mean, maybe 300 Maybe 400. I don't know. Can, you, can a pastor know 400 names? And, and, and how is that going to look? And, and what should happen with mega churches and all that stuff? And what are solutions to that? So we'll be talking about that. We're going to talk about friends and fellowship. And we're going to talk about loving people when they need it most. You know, we hear stories about people who have had a problem. They've fallen into sexual immorality and they're sorry about it and they get booted from churches. It's a time when they need Christ most and they're kicked out because they made mistakes. Not, I'm not talking about somebody who says, yes, you can do this all you want, don't worry about it, it's fine. That person should be removed because they're a danger. But somebody who's just having trouble with life, that's what the church is for. We've lost that in the machine called church. And, and uh, we'll talk about the pastor's dreams and their visions. We'll talk about the cycles. We'll talk about the, the business models that they have implemented from Willowbrook, which is now stepping back from that. We're going to talk about preterism. We're going to talk about the, uh, the new movements within the church that people have embraced, you know, getting back to with candles and deconstructed services and Jesus really isn't the king. He was just a good man. That all thrives. The emergent church will be a topic that we talk about. And uh, we're going to talk about money. Money, money, money. We are going to uh, obliterate that word tithing, and we hope that we will cause a revolution in your life where you will say, uh, don't use that word on me, pastor. Don't use that word and mean it. Walk if they do. Uh, we're going to talk about the name of the church. We're going to talk about the things of the world that are surrounded uh, in the church and uh, the, the costs and the, and the money that goes to setting them up within the church. Uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff. We're going to close it up and just wrap it up. I'm going to talk about one final thing. You may or may not know that we have a church. It's called Campus, and it stands for Christian Anarchists, Meeting to Prayerfully Understand Scripture. Admittedly and openly, I am a Christian anarchist, completely through and through. That is completely different from secular anarchism. And what it really is important to understand is um, Christian Anarchy is simply saying we are going to be without the archies of this world. Anarchy. An means without. It doesn't mean against. does not mean against. So I'm not against the archies of the world. I am just without them. Let me explain. The word archy is a root word and it means the beginning of things. So we have um, uh, archaeology. That is, the, that is a study of the beginning of things in the earth. We have architecture. It's the basic study of forms, okay? We have archetypes, and that is a man who represents uh, the first. Adam is an archetype of the human race. Uh, and so anarchy means uh, I do not embrace these elemental forms as part of what I follow. It means I follow only the supreme archy and that is Jesus Christ. He is the archetype. He is the one that we place our faith and hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Not a church, not, a, not legalisms, not pain, not doing. He is the focus of the faith. And so as an anarchist, and it was populated by Leo Tolstoy and others, Jack Ulil and other writers, all of them say, listen, the church is not about politics. We are not about getting involved in that archy. Because anytime men and women establish an archy of their own, a, a basic form of their own, whether it be a church, whether it be a, a, a government, it is going to fail. It's going to fall apart. So you put your faith and hope in those things, you have a weak stance. But if you put your faith and hope in the ultimate only archetype, Christ, and no others, you are a Christian anarchist. 
Now, it does not mean secular anarchy. It doesn't mean fighting against. It doesn't mean being antinomian, law, lawless. It just means that you are putting Christ first and foremost in your life. So let me give you an example. Christian anarchy is certainly about revolution. And we are trying to get in your minds, in your hearts, a revolution. And it's twofold. First, as a Christian, you have an internal revolution. You say, I realize my life thus far has been a failure. I realize that even though I've had accomplishments, even though I've done many wonderful things, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a pretty good girl. I still have sin. I still have fallen short of the glory of God. I am a failure. Lord, give me revolution. And what happens is you turn away from that former life and you revolt against what it all stood on in its principles and you stand for this new archy, this guy named Jesus Christ. And that revolution alters you internally and you begin to live your life based on him and him alone, not other men, not other archetypes, okay? Uh, or archies. That's the first revolution. So is Christian anarchy uh, revolutionary? Absolutely, but not in the secular sense. The second thing is it certainly uh, comes to uh, uh, revolution uh, uh, and it's a byproduct of your personal revolution. And, and what it is, is an aim for communal love to exist between you and everyone else. That means that's, revol that's, that's really a revolution. It doesn't exist in this world. We pretend it exists because we label love certain things. But in reality, this part of Christian anarchy is you will, with Christ being your archetype, you will love. You will love those who hurt you, you will love those who despitefully use you. You will love your neighbor who has a barking dog. You will love. It's not easy. You'll fail. You will fall on your knees to your king and say, I failed again. But you will strive to love. That is revolutionary. It's not love when it's convenient. It's not love to those who share your opinions and attitudes. It's love of everybody, especially the most difficult. So that is totally revolutionary. You can see that this is really against secular anarchism, which says, we don't love them, we don't love them, we're going to destroy them. Not at all. The, the anarchistic, the Christian, Christianarchy is all about dying to self, loving others, which is what Christ taught. We're going to wrap it up with that, um, and, and uh, I hope that we have the outro ready. Uh, we do. I uh, want you to know that we love you guys, and we do this because we do strive to love. And if you don't know uh, Christ Jesus, if he is just the guy you have said was a good man or a good teacher or you wonder about him, our challenge to you is this. Go to him in the quiet of your bedroom, in your car, alone, on the beach, in the mountains, wherever it is. Go to him and say, listen, I don't know you. I want to know if you exist. I want to know if there is a God. I want you to change my heart. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to help me. Go to him. That's our purpose, really. And so we are focusing on the churches now for this next year to help people see what to do there. But bottom line, do you have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Join us next week here on Heart of the Matter streaming video. T tell your friends, hotm.tv. And we'll see you then. Woo! Hold me to the shepherd.